0: This is a podcast from 3RRR, 102.7 FM in Melbourne. Truly independent community radio. Uh, It is time now to find out what's in store this year for the Festival of Live Art, which is running from the 13th to the 25th of March uh, and is presented kind of collaboratively by Footscray Community Arts Centre, Arts House and Theatre Works. Joining us in the program from Footscray Community Arts Centre is uh, Khalid Wasami. Khalid, welcome to Triple R.
1: Um, glad to be here. Thanks for having me.
0: Absolute pleasure. How long have you been working on the Festival of Live Art behind the scenes, getting the program together?
1: Well, um, the festival happens every two years, so we usually spend one year um, delivering the festival and in the off year planning things and putting th- putting things into works. Um, it seems it definitely seems a lot longer. Um, it seems like I've been working on it for my whole life, but it's um, yeah, it's it's we it's been about a two year turnaround.
0: And in terms of the festival itself, obviously there's going to be a few challenges in presenting something like this. One, the fact that kind of having three presenting partners requires three times the amount of meetings, for example.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. That's that's definitely um, something that I can um, speak to. Um, but it's actually it's actually a very fertile way for the three organisations, the three lead organisations, which is Arts House, um, Theatre Works, and Footscray Community Arts Centre. We we all have these. Um, different styles and different ways of doing things and different um, I, zones of interest when it comes to art, artistic programming and this is a it's been it's a really um, fertile ground for cross collaboration and cross pollination to happen and it's 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 a lot it's a lot more it's very fruitful in terms of the dialogues that are happening and uh, at, at the level of the st- the producers who are and the artists, and it's 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 a re- it's a really um, interesting way of programming a festival. Um, we're all equal partners in the festival, and we present it together. And we also have associated venues such as um, West Westbase Substation and Temperance Hall, who are also presenting works at the festival of live art this year.
0: Now, some people will be listening, going, "What's live art?"
1: That's that's a good question. <laughs> that's a very good question. Basically, um, it's in, it's intentionally a nebulous a term because um, when you're presenting a festival um, and you're calling it a live art festival, it's really what you're into, What you th- what what is interesting? What's interesting that's happening in the. Um, world of arts right now and when we're looking at what's happening right now that we're all really excited by it's experimental art it's interactive art it's participatory art and that's sort of what we've um honed in on this year with the festival where a lot of the um a lot of the shows that we have at the festival are shows that have audience participation a lot of the shows are different from what you'd usually go to even if you go into a theater show um such as unknown neighbors which is happening at theater works it's 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 very um it's an experimental theatre show, and that's basically um, what we've what that. Notion that we've coalesced around when it comes to um, live art, which which means that if you're an audience member who likes to get involved, um, there's a there's call outs that are happening right now for part, for participatory um, for you to participate in the actual programming of the festival. Um, Arts House has a call out for participation. Um, it's open from now till I think the 26th of February, and that's if you want to swim some laps, if you want to um, sew a onesie. There's d- lots of different things that you can do, and it's really So I'd really um, encourage um, you to check that out. Yep, uh the website
0: www.artshouse.com.au. If you jump on there and just look for a yep. link that will take you to the Festival
1: of Live Art participant call. And there's also the festival website which is folla.com.au.
0: Yeah. So, one of the things that has fascinated me about watching uh the the festival unfold was when I was when I first heard the term live art ooh, over a decade ago now, I was like this is kind of weird and interesting. I think it was who was it that introduced me to the term? Ah, it'll come to me. Um but that notion of participatory work all all performance work is live art in to, in one way or another it kind of it doesn't come to life until the audience is there but for live art experiences the notion that it can be uh, for an intimate audience of one for example or that you act being actively engaged and actually helping make the show is then what makes it live art.
1: Yeah, and it really it really breaks down um, the barriers that we've erected between um, audience and artwork, which have no real reason for existing if we if we if we look at it um, um, carefully. Uh, art has always been responsive to um, things that are happening outside of the actual work itself. Artists are always um, thinking about the audience and thinking about incorporating um, discussions that are happening. Out in the world, and when you when you have a participatory live art experience, that really brings that really brings the the um, it really breaks down the barriers that exist between audience and um, artwork in a way that you realise hey, there's no reason for these barriers to exist in the first place.
0: Does going to see a live art experience then make it difficult to go back into re- to watching regular theatre afterwards? Surprisingly, not. Um,
1: I've I've I still go to theatre shows. I still go to see plays. But also, what it does, it just gives you a greater um, understanding of what is what art actually is. And 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 I think. I think, having, I think looking at something from different perspectives is always important. Um, for example, I like um, Marvel movies, but I also like French New Wave films, and I'll watch them, but they don't infringe on each other, um, if, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. Let's talk about
0: some of the elements of the program for the Festival of Live Art, and because you're from Footscray Community Arts Centre, we'll start there. After all, I had Josh Wright on the show from Arts House a couple of weeks ago talking about some of his program. We'll talk about some of his program, but we'll talk about yours as well. So... Uh, I know um, for example there's a work uh, created by the amplified elephants uh, who, yeah. whose uh, performances i've heard and seen uh, many a time over the last several years and they're doing a work involving selfie culture
1: that's that's I'm really excited for that one so that if you in case, in case you don 't know the amplified elephants um this is to my audience um, you obviously are aware of what they do um are there are in-house sound there are um, sound art collective that um, work out of as out part of our art life program which is program for artists with perceived disabilities um now the amplified elephants are so amazing i don't know if you've heard them play um um richard they're they're they do such interesting um work and they're presenting they're presenting their self-seekers show which is one that they've toured internationally in um, most recently in tokyo um and it's a it's a it's a show that really it's i don't know how to describe it it's a which is something that I um, probably should get better at since <laughs> I am producing the show. Um it's 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 um, so it's it's interrogating the notion of a selfie but also the notion of the self through um, sound collages and video installations and it's happening at the performance space of the Footscray Community Arts Center on the, on the 24th of the Saturday of March and it's one that I I haven't seen the Amplified Elephants um perform this specific show yet and it's one that I'll definitely be in the front row for of just losing my mind. What are some of the other highlights uh, at Footsgrave, for example? A bit more grand. So we, uh, we, we've got um, we've got a really um diverse programme for for this year at Footstray. We've got um Verbatim which is a um it's a, it's an installation and it's also a guided tour through someone's mental landscape and this is happening um or someone's a group of people's mental landscape and it's happening um um all throughout the site at the main warehouse at Footstray. And it's um it's really exciting. It's 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 a really um um, immersive um, experience. We've also got um, Lovely Mess, which is a um, brackets 48 Stories of Shame, which interrogates um, young people's idea and um, experiences through things like shame and um, um, difficult mental periods. It's a way of it's a way of um, poking poking at that sense that we all have at t- as teenagers, the awkwardness and the difficulties of um, experiencing and going through life. Um, we've also got the um, Miss Red, which is, a, which is a queer futurist extravaganza. it's great. It's, it's got a lot of moving parts. We've got a ball, a whacking ball. Whacking is a um, street dance style that was um, developed in um, the streets of LA in the 70s and 80s, and it's really taken off. Um, since then. And it's, uh, we've, got, we've got a whacking ball, which is sort of like voguing, but not quite more fun, in my opinion. Um, and we've also got these um, virtual reality and augmented reality experiences all throughout the site. And we've got things like projections and sound art and music and that big party on the Friday night on the 23rd. So it's, 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 it's got something for everybody. Um, which sounds like cliche, but it's actually tr- true in this case.
0: We're talking uh, about the Festival of Live Art, which is happening again this year, jointly presented by Footscray Community Arts Centre, Theatre Works, and uh, Arts House in North Melbourne. One of the works that I'm intrigued to see, which is on at Arts House, uh, from David Finnegan, the Canberra based playwright, um, his work, uh, Kill Climate Deniers, uh, which has had. Yeah. Uh, I've interviewed David a, a couple of times in the past about this work, which. Started out as a script and was going to be produced, and then the kind of the the right wing shock jocks got hold of it and <laughs> turned it into a media firestorm. Uh, and so it will actually have a premiere as a play this year in Sydney at mm. uh, at Griffin Theatre Company, but at Arts House it's being presented in an alternative version, kind of like a script reading slash performance lecture slash live DJ set. Yeah,
1: yeah, it's a, it's one it's a, it's an interesting iteration of that um, show, and it's um, yeah, yeah, that's that's a. An exciting one. There's another show that I'm really excited about that's happening at Arts House, Black Sonic Futures, which is put put together by um, the arts collective Still Nomads, and it's a celebration of the 21st anniversary of um, um, the Fuji's store. and it's 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 wild. It's got music, um, projections, visual art, um, and 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 um, live art as well it's it's a really um, interesting immersive experience and I'm really looking forward to that one as well
0: and over at theater works is uh, unknown neighbors
1: yeah yeah so that's the um, that's the experimental theater show that's got a bit of everything it's got it moves between sites it's got um, I think there was there's gonna be drone footage involved in some way and that kicks off the festival really so um, after the first showing is the opening p- uh, party of the festival so it's it's a really it's really um good way to start to kick off the festival i'm intrigued
0: by that partly because it's a collaboration between ranter's theatre who've made some kind of really intimate and interesting and multifaceted work here in melbourne and they're collaborating with a um a performance group from korea yeah so, yeah
1: if yeah that's that's um so it's it's yeah that's that's one that, that um, that's a really exciting one it's it's i've been i've been sort of seeing it come together from the background a bit and i've sort of been at the meeting seeing different pieces of that show coming together and it's so so exciting
0: uh, there's so many other works in the festival of live art. We can't go into everything in detail, but if uh, titles such as Radical Listening Workshop catch your eye, uh, or uh, Never Trust a Creative City, you should check those out. Uh, I'm experienced. I'm interested in experiencing uh, S.J. Norman's Rest Area, which is a. Um, uh, a Work uh, exploring intimacy and desire and the need for touch, uh, and which has been was created by the artist 10 years ago, and they're now entrusting it to a new generation of performers effectively yeah, yeah. To, to embody uh, the work. So, that's kind of there's a, a not just interesting works, yeah. there's interesting ideas, yeah. and uh, you can literally see the evolution of individual artists' kind of practices evolving yeah. uh, in the festival as well.
1: So, the full program is up on our um, website folder.trom.org. And um, just also point out a lot of the shows at this year's festival are free to attend. So there's there's a lot you can get out of it if you um, are strapped for cash.
0: Definitely recommend investigating the program, booking for a few shows. And don't forget that uh, if you want to volunteer in a work, Arts House are looking for participants, au. You can register there to be a participant in the Festival of Live Art.
1: Believe, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks it's so much fun. for having me.
0: And I'm joined in the studio by my next guest, who's the Associate Director at the Melbourne Theatre Company and Director of the uh, production, The Children, which opened last week. Sarah Goods, welcome Hello, back.
2: hello. Lovely to be here.
0: Lovely to have you back in. It's been a while since we caught up. Yes, yeah. a year. <laughs> What's the year like been for you?
2: Oh, very good. My first year um, in Melbourne, having moved down here, I'm completely in love with the city.
0: Right answer. And you started wearing black.
2: Dark navy. Oh, dark dark navy. Navy,
0: We'll we'll get you there eventually. (laughs) Soon you will be wearing part of the army of of Melbourne theatrical Uh, black. Yes, hopefully. (laughs) A quick question for you before we start to talk about the children. How has your perspective of Melbourne's theatre ecology changed from over the last 12 months from moving down from Sydney as somebody not that familiar with the city? What did you think about it before you moved down and how... Did, did it live up to your expectations?
2: Well interestingly, I studied at VCA, okay. so I did my postgrad in theater directing down here many moons ago and um, And when I made the decision to come down, I was offered the job and made the decision to come down. I went to see um, Mill on the Floss at uh, Theatre Works, and I just went in there and I sat there and I was reminded instantly of how different Melbourne is to Sydney in terms of its independent theater community and its arts and theater community in general it's um it's tremendous and endlessly inspiring um i've always i've tried to figure out why the difference is why the difference is so um uh, is it because of VCA and the way they train students is it because of um just basic living costs and being able to have access to different venues but whatever it is the 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 community down here is um Uh, is very, very different, particularly in the independent sector where so much interesting work happens and such um, incredible artists grow from it.
0: It was interesting. I had a conversation literally just uh, uh, a day or two ago with um, a Sydney producer slash director in the independent theatre, uh, Dino mm-hmm. Um and he's currently making uh, a production which is kind of very visual, foc- very yep. visually focused, and, and he was commenting that, yeah, so much of the independent theatre in Sydney is about kind of narrative and script and the well-written play. Uh, and that, yeah, he, again, kind of uh, the, the work that he he was doing really seems like an experiment and I'd be fascinated to see how Sydney responds to it.
2: Yeah, I think so. And I, I mean, there's tremendous artists, you know, independent artists in Sydney, but there's so few venues and it's so expensive to get your work on. It's so expensive to live as an artist in Sydney that really the work you do is um, determined by those economic forces, you know, and, um, and yeah, Melbourne's an expensive city as well, but um, you know the, the the acting community here when they're not, if they're not working on the main stage, they're always creating their own work. you know you're, you're always able to see four or five or six shows a week where the quality and the, the risk being taken within it is is incredible.
0: Speaking of quality actors, you've got a bit of a dream team to work with in the children, so uh, Pamela Rabe, William Zappa, and Sarah Pierce.
2: Yeah, they're pretty amazing. <laughs> I worked with Sarah Pierce, um on Switzerland, the Joanna Murray-Smith play that started at STC and um, toured down here. So I've got an ongoing relationship with her. She's um, an amazing artist to work with. And I actually AD'd Pamela Rabe on her production of Elling years ago, but I've never worked with her um as an actor and she's she's incredible and William Zappa they really are I mean I think one of the things about the play uh, the children is Lucy Kirkwood was very interested in closing all the doors on a on a group of people and actually exploring the idea of nuclear fission or a nuclear reaction between these sort of three characters so finding three completely different animals or sort of Uh, instruments in the actors was really important and um, these are three actors kind of at the top of their game but you couldn't actually find three more different people or you know actors if you tried you know.
0: Now the risk with something like that is that uh, a, a critic or an audience member will sit th- sit there going it's like they're acting in completely different plays so your job as director is to bring those three different styles energies and voices together to make a coherent piece of drama.
2: Uh, look I think really good writing does that um, for you and, um, and actors at that level of, you know, have an amazing ability to tune in with each other. But I think one of the things that I, I keep getting reminded about theatre that theatre is about obstacles. Theatre is about that uh, translation of artistic conversation you know just because I'm thinking something doesn't mean you're not thinking it and the desire to iron out that conflict gets in the way of actually creating really good work I think I think if you don't understand what you're all talking about and you have to work really hard in order to understand what that is the workers are always going to benefit
0: from that. Now I've yet to see the children, but one of the things that intrigues me about it, I think anybody who's spent time in the UK either as a tourist or living there, there's for me as an Australian where we basically don't have nuclear power stations. I think there's one in Sydney that I'm mm. that I'm aware of, but. I still vividly remember uh, catching a train from Edinburgh to London and just looking up at one stage and seeing a line of nuclear power stations yeah. kind of advancing towards me across the country and a chill went down my spine yeah. and I've since seen photos of lovely pebbled beaches which look really charming and, and delightful until you see a nuclear power station yeah. looming down the end of the beach. Yeah. So the children kind of taps into that but it uses uh, nuclear fallout and the, the aftermath of a disaster. What really... is a metaphor for climate change, to say, how do we we respond?
2: Yes, absolutely. And one of the first conversations we had about the piece was, could we do it not based in England? Could we do it without English accents? Could we, um, you know, the themes within it are quite universal, but... You couldn't, I mean, also she's written a lot of the rhythms and the writing are for an English accent, but more importantly, we just don't have the same relationship to nuclear energy as somewhere like um England does. Um, and I think obviously you know she has written very much, she's taken what happened at Fukushima and in japan and and transported it to to England and to a very specific place, I think. We'd sort of... She doesn't like to say where it is, but we sort of figured out it's sort of Dunwich, sort of Suffolk, where the size war nuclear plants are. But um, it's a fascinating... It's a fascinating conversation for her to be opening up because it really talks to that generational uh, responsibility. You know, the next generation will have to... um, Uh, take responsibility for 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 these things for these buildings as they start to become um, unsafe or as the environment starts to threaten their ability to operate safely if they ever could actually ever operate safely but um it's a fascinating premise and um and it opens up so many questions on a domestic level as well as a political and social level.
0: As you say, she's got three characters. Essentially, it's not quite a locked room mystery, but it's uh, three characters in a space from which they can't really escape. And uh, those domestic tensions, we have um, a kitchen which both uh, of the female characters almost view as their own kitchen, despite the fact that one of them is an interloper. Yes. You have uh, a past affair resurfacing and the shockwaves of that still rippling on. Yes. So... And you have um, the uh, kind of disaster that has occurred outside and the responsibility of nuclear fallout Mm. and and contamination. So a contaminated relationship and a contaminated world.
2: Mm.
0: Well, it's also
2: when you read her work and when you get it up on the floor too, it's this... There's so much richness, theatrical richness in there as well. Like her writing, at times we've said um, her use of pauses and her use of punctuation is very like Pinter. Um, And there's elements of, you know, who's afraid of Virginia Woolf in there. And then also of Ibsen in the sense that you meet these characters and the first sort of 15, 20 minutes of it is you sort of get to know these people who then the ghosts of their past come back to haunt them, who they were 20, 30 years ago, the decisions they made 20, 30 years ago and the consequences of them now and she's able to do that in a way where it happens on the personal but also on the political and the social as well. You know, um, what is retirement? The characters are all in their 60s. Two of them have retired and they're now kind of farmers and they say, we've done our bit. Um, And is that what retirement is? Is it where you actually hang up your boots and say, I'm now no longer responsible for the mess of society because I finished? And, um, And the friend turns up to actually call them to arms. On this and the big question within it as well is how do we live with less and and how you know in, in a country like australia where we've had you know 20 25 years of uninterrupted economic growth where do you stop where does the consumerism stop where does the point you know and she talks lucy talks a lot about that question of it's so easy how luxury luxuries become necessity and at what point do we start saying actually we don't need anymore. And And the hypocrisy of a, of a Western society where we've had everything for so long to turn around to other societies and go, actually, you know, you should think about, you know, waste. And it's like after we've produced mountains,
0: mountains, of, mountains
2: of it for, yeah. for years and years.
0: Yeah, we've clogged the oceans. So the play The Children uh, by Lucy Kirkwood, one of the things that intrigues me about Kirkwood herself is she's, writing uh, with a clear awareness and familiarity of these kind of older baby boomer era characters. Uh, she herself is from a completely different generation, but uh, she's, cl- she's not written this as a piece of kind of... Um, as to, it's not about the intergenerational struggle or, or some of those kind of tensions. It's really perhaps about her thinking, what am I going to say to my own children in 30 years' time when they turn around to me and say, why did you leave the world in this state?
2: I think so. And I think she's, um, uh, I think it's a, she's 33, you know, and she's written these three roles for people in their 60s um, so brilliantly. And, um, and I think it's a really interesting thing to look at at a time where we're talking a lot about who has the right to tell whose stories. And um, and in most cases, culturally, it's a it's a given that we understand that, you know, the people, only certain people should be able to tell. But in this is a wonderful case of how someone from a completely different age bracket can can write so perfectly and brilliantly for a completely different age group with insights that maybe that group wouldn't be able to have and to be able to put them in situations which they wouldn't that generation might not normally put themselves in or ask questions of themselves in quite such a complex
0: way. Now, I'm not very familiar with Lucy Kirkwood and her work, so. Uh, but one of the things that sent up a, a not kind of like a red flag, which is a warning sign, but kind of like something that made me intrigued and made me want to read more and see more of her work, is the fact that I believe she was discovered by Carol Churchill's agent. So, if Carol Churchill's agent is saying this is a young playwright to watch, yes, I, I figured that's a good sign.
2: Well, I think also. I mean she's very different from Annie Baker but she's as exciting as Annie Baker I think in the sense that she's a writer who, um, you know, she wrote Chimerica which was so epic and sprawling and, and large and then she gives herself the challenge with the next play to write a three-hander in real time in a in one location and um, writers that are that um, adventurous and risk-taking um a uh, 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 fascinating and you know I think she's she's up there
0: um with people like Annie Baker She's clearly a, a playwright who you're enjoying working with her script.
2: Yes, absolutely. There was a book we read as part of research for this um, play called Ghosts of the Tsunami by um, Richard Lloyd Parry who's the Financial Times writer for um, for England but he was living in Japan for um, sort of 11 years and was there when the tsunami happened and Sarah Pierce actually brought it into the, into the mix and we all read it and um, I can't recommend the book highly enough. It's a haunting beautiful um, long-form d- uh, sort of example of long-form journalism um, and it's sort of described as being like um, In Cold Blood by Truman Capote but essentially he just focuses on the tsunami and the after effects of it of on the people who he follows for five years and it's this extraordinary study of grief and, um, and a lot of the, his writing was something that we drew on a lot in the rehearsal room which was really beautiful.
0: Now, often on this program, I'm talking about shows that are on in the inner city, say at La Mama in Carlton or Theatre Works in St Kilda or indeed in the CBD itself at the Comedy Theatre or Arts Centre Melbourne. And I know that that occasionally frustrates people who live further out. So uh, if you live, I don't know, for example, in Werribee, then uh, maybe your ears might prick up uh, for our next conversation. I'm joined in the studio by photographer and performer William Young, who's one of Uh, well, one of Australia's most significant and celebrated contemporary artists, uh, a photographer whose photography has now uh, fed into performance and storytelling and more. William, welcome to Triple R. Thanks, Richard. So you're performing at the Wyndham Cultural Centre in Werribee, Uh, your show The Story Only I Can Tell, but you're also out there running workshops, I understand, to help people with their own storytelling.
3: Yes, it's my latest format. I go to places and I do a storytelling workshop with locals and then we all perform on stage at the end of the day. Um, they go first, they have short 10-minute stories and then I do a longer story, like an hour. It's a way of accessing local stories and we work with them during the week And we've got some very interesting stories from a person called Elaine, who's got a wrenching story about her father. And there's also a person from Pakistan, Imran, who struggled when he came to the district from Bangladesh. And so he's got a very warm hearted story.
0: Have you always considered yourself to be a storyteller even uh, in your earlier days as a as somebody more focused just on photography because looking at your photos there's often there's not necessarily a narrative per se in the image but there is a real sense of an awareness of the backstory of the images that you've captured and presented for example
3: I started off as a photographer and i I'd been taking f- photographs and having exhibitions for about 15 years when I started image projection and there's a natural tendency to talk with the image when you're projecting it and standing there and so I started talking with my photographs and it was a big shift to move from behind the camera to virtually into the spotlight and I found it very difficult but it's become easier uh, as I've done things and so now my performances are my main art form and so it's telling stories um, with images and
0: music. Was it hard to let go of being a photographer, to th- of thinking of yourself as a, somebody who worked visually?
3: There's still a very strong visual element in in this and actually Most of the pieces are photographically based so I haven't let go of being a photographer but I've added a storytelling dimension to it and so there's a strong narrative that runs through all my works and it makes it easier for me to link up my images into a story.
0: Now, one of the things that I know that your practice is also encompassed in uh, this storytelling mode is working with other artists to help them shape some of the the visual components of their work as well. Uh, there was a, a piece that was on at Melbourne Festival last year, for example, with uh, a couple of hip, uh, kind of Asian Australian hip hop artists, and I know you helped kind of curate, helped them curate some of the imagery for for them telling their own stories as well.
3: Yes, that was Joel and James. Um, so, yes, Anne Ann War and I did the original dramaturgy for that piece and we worked out a structure for them so that they, they could each tell their stories and then they took it from there because they're musicians and so they wrapped the music around the stories. But they had, we had a very good structure for that story. It was just alternating stories of the, the half... Chinese and or half Asian and half Australian, and um, and because it had a very strong structure, um, it was ju- e- the work held together in all its manifestations.
0: Mm, it was a lovely show. It was a really oh really good. Enjoyable no, that's been show. one yeah. of our hit shows. Yeah. Um, to come back to your own stories and your own work, how do you how does how do you shape a show? Do you how do you know what stories to tell and when? Well, I
3: come across a person comes in for a storytelling workshop and the very first stage of the process is for me to listen to their story and I've got all my listening antenna up and it's whatever resonates with me as a story. It's a kind of human aspect or or something that hits you. And so you say, yes, we'll have that. That's interesting. And for example, Imran said that he had an arranged marriage back in Bangladesh. And so that – my antenna went up and I said, that's interesting. And so I teased out of him a story of what it was. I mean, how how did you meet the person and how were the families involved – and um, did you have other applicants for, for, the, for the marriage and things like that? So it's really just um, what, what I think is interesting and that shapes the story as it go, goes on. And we have to move the story on and I'm very conscious of going to the next chapter quite quickly, not to dwell too, too, um, too long on a, a single incident.
0: Now, your show, The Story Only I Can Tell, is about you and your family as well. Are there stories that you had decided not to tell that were too personal or belonged more to other members of your family rather than you feeling a sense of ownership over them yourself?
3: Um, Well, when you talk about family, there's always... uh, You have to make a decision about how much you're going to tell or whether the, the person will get angry with you if you tell that story or someone may have a different version of that story of you. So it's a really a very delicate um, balancing act and sometimes I go over the line and then the people get angry with me. But um, uh, I kind of just use my common sense but because on another level you have to tell the story and there's a certain truth in the story that you really can't fudge uh, but, but I, I guess um, I do fudge at times just so that my relatives will still talk to me <laughs> so, so it's, it's all about, the, it's all about um, uh, what you say about people and you try not to be hurtful or anything like that, but still, there's there's a story to tell, and um, often, often they're quite sad stories, really, about people who are estranged or, um, yes, I'm th- I'm thinking of Elaine's story where her her father was alcoholic, and eventually the family rejected him, and so. And she tells the story quite um, quite um truthfully.
0: If you've just tuned in, we're speaking with William Young about his uh, storytelling show, The Story Only I Can Tell, which is associated by a series of workshops happening at the Wyndham Cultural Centre. Now, the workshops are on this weekend and are ongoing and it, people have already applied for them. The, I know you had to put people had to put in an expression of interest to take part, so it's not like you should suddenly ring Wyndham Cultural Centre right now and say, how do I p- take part in these workshops? But you can ring the Wyndham Cultural Centre and book to see uh, The Story Only I Can Tell and I'll give some details about how to book for the show in a moment. But, we, one of the other things that fascinates me about kind of you and, and the art you have made out of your stories and your family's stories is that they reflect a changing Australia. Your uh, relatives, your ancestors arrived from China over 100 years ago uh, and what would have been an Australian story 100 years ago versus an Australian story now helps... Reflect the it. It shows us how our culture is changing, how the the broad the broader Australian culture is changing. How res- do you feel you have a responsibility to help evolve the conversation, to help Australia tell more truthful stories that represent the country as it is now, rather than the the sun bronzed, white washed kind of Anglo dream of the fifties that still sometimes seems to crop up fairly regularly on television. I was one of the first
3: people to tell a Chinese story from a Chinese point of view and this was happened in the 90s um, the wogs got there first but I, I was close on their heels um, and People knew that there was a Chinese restaurant in every town in Australia but they hadn't heard a Chinese story told from the horse's mouth and so I've kept telling the stories and now I'm even part of a, a organisation called Contemporary Asian Australian Performance and we tell Asian stories um, and th- that, that that's with Annette and What we are trying to do is um, promote diversity, that we feel that the true Australian, the demographic of a multicultural Australia isn't really represented on television. And and certainly
0: not on stage either.
3: (laughs) Or on stage, exactly. And so we're trying to just present a more diverse society.
0: Before I go, I've got one more interview and uh, very much looking forward to uh, my conversation now. I'm joined on the line by Joe Porter, who's one of the co-producers of the Regional Centre for Culture 2018. Joe, a very good morning to you.
4: Good morning. It's a pleasure to be with you.
0: Where in uh, Victoria are you at the moment?
4: I am actually driving, uh, or I'm being driven by my co-producer Elizabeth Walsh between Eliza- uh, between Bendigo and Castlemaine, mm. and we had the kickoff event for the Regional Centre of Culture in Roslyn Park in Bendigo
0: last night. I hope it went well. It was uh, kind of a Valentine's Day event, but drawing on broader themes, I believe.
4: We, we, but we both. We both had- ambivalent ambivalent about the existence of valentine's day but it did seem a beautiful opportunity to really highlight that we're working across a region it's not um just a a city or you know a small area it's a beautiful region which we call the heart of victoria and so celebrating country and celebrating the place um, the landscape and how you feel about it seem like a really great way of thinking about Valentine's Day in 2018.
0: So let's talk about what it means to be to have a, a regional centre of culture because often uh, in Europe, for example, there might be a, crea- a, a, a capital of culture and it moves from city to city uh, uh, across a different year. But here what's been done is for regional kind of areas So the uh, and municipalities the City of Greater Bendigo, the Central Goldfield Shire, Mount Alexander Shire and Hepburn Shire is all coming together to collectively celebrate the diversity and the strength of art in regional Victoria and, as you say, art in the heart of Victoria. That's it's a pretty unique program and event.
4: It's a fantastic event and I think the combination of these four municipalities really represents a uh, quite um, extraordinary ar- array of lifestyles of art making of ideas about what culture is um and one of the well the thing that they do all share is that they're situated on part of Djarung country and so one of the really wonderful things um, about this whole project is that um, it's a partnership between those four municipalities um, and the state of Victoria and the Djarjarung, um Clans Aboriginal Corporation who represent the, the Djarjarung people in the area.
0: And to help shape the program, because let's face it, even a three-week festival can be a challenge for some people to navigate and get their heads around. The the number of times friends of mine have said oh Richard what should I see at Fringe or what should I see at the Comedy Festival and I have to say "Ah, it finished a week ago, you're a bit late. So uh, you've got a whole year's programming for people to have to deal with and get their head around. One of the narrative entry points if you will that you've created to help people think about 12 months worth of programming and programming that covers four municipalities is you've structured it around the seasons of the Aboriginal calendar.
4: Exactly so right now we are in enU and lightning time which is roughly sort of uh, January to March and it's very much um, a time when there are sudden storms and you can really get a sense of, of what this country represents seasonally and, and um, then we'll, we move into it's roughly speaking sort of four to six weeks or, uh weak changes that happen across the countryside around here and being able to say to people um, that the year's divided up into the six judge-run or seasonal times that they've observed over millennia is a really great way of being able to describe to people how they might engage with activities in the landscape. So, for example, in, in the sort of June-July time, it might be time to enjoy the great indoors so we've created town hall crawls of concerts where you get to see inside lots of the little town halls across the region that are usually under lock and key and, you know, Mr. or Mrs. Smith's got the key and you don't know how to visit, but this time you can go inside and then sing your own concert and move on to another town hall. And there's literary festivals and all those sorts of things in the colder period, but then there are beautiful things to see when it gets warmer or go on drive and all that sort of thing.
0: And one of the things that you've done, uh, as kind of to, in terms of producing the program, uh, is kind of recognizing that there are ongoing events that are already happening in the region, so incorporating those into the program. So, uh, coming up this weekend, for example, is uh, the Chinese New Year Festival at the, uh, and celebrations at the Golden Dragon Museum in Bendigo, uh, and uh. But then there's other events, new events, such as uh, getting, I think it's happening tomorrow, the Australian Youth Orchestra uh, performing at the Alumbra Theatre in Bendigo.
4: Exactly. So it's a real opportunity to shine a light on what's already happening in the region. And Elizabeth and I really took a sort of... Participatory research approach um, to the process to um, not arrive and go hey we 've got culture for you it 's more like well what are you, you know what do you do? what do you like about where you live and what what are the what are the identities of of the people that um, live next door and your you know your geographic region and so on so for example we're working in Newstead, which is a beautiful community in Mount Alexandershire to um, make a sort of community event that's across between a, a, a fair and a, and a festival, um, that will culminate in a circus in uh, in a local swimming pool, which is created by some artists called Asking for Trouble, Trouble, who are based in Cloons. And then, right, sort of at the other end of the spectrum, we're working with Spudfest, which takes place in Trentham to support a, a music area for people to take a load off and have a cup of tea or a glass of wine or a scone or whatever take a break from potato carving and potato races and and enjoy the scenery in Trentham. and part of that approach is really so that it's not the circus moving through the landscape it's um, a way of shining a light on what's already here and and also supporting people trying new things that they might be able to continue doing
0: in future years. Now, speaking of Newstead, I know that coming up on March the third, there's an event that's been curated in and around the local swimming pool in Newstead. So, referencing the, the play that people have and the and the place that a pool holds in a community, but extrapolating from that into to the more broader artistic themes. Yes,
4: exactly. And so, um, and that's really a, a mixture between artist-led sort of presentations. And this, great band called the um playing, who will do their mixture of uh, Balkan fusion brass ensemble kind of music for dancing through to a, um, a, a sort of a dance-off between the voluntary committees of Newstead. There's about 500 people live in Newstead and I believe there are about 40 volunteer committees and we've invited all of those committees to participate in a, in a sort of bush dance real so that, you know, not only are they getting up on their feet and having a bit of a dance but they're also really kind of representing how much community participation and contribution there is to, to that small place by very active um, people who live there.
0: Now if people want to learn more about the Regional Centre for Culture 2018 and the vast program of works that are involved uh, jump online RCC. Two o one eight RCC 2018com dot com is the website for Regional Centre of Culture twenty eighteen. Now I'm I have to ask this question because uh, uh, Joe, this is happening in twenty eighteen, the Regional Centre for Culture. Obviously, yep. we know that. What what's going to happen uh, in future years? Is there a plan for a different set of shires elsewhere in Victoria to become the Regional Centre for Culture in twenty nineteen, twenty twenty, 2020, twenty twenty one, and so forth?
4: Well, I definitely, would say not in 2019. It's something that is probably going to need a greater cycle for development and so on. I think this is a, you know, this is a, a beautiful um, experiment for the time being, and watch this space for um, another set of shires to participate. There's every intention that it will happen and um, we don't have confirmation right now, but, yes, as I say, watch this space.
0: I will keep my fingers crossed and I will occasionally nudge the Minister for Creative Industries, Martin Foley, MP, to you know. uh, to, to see uh, what, what he's got to say for himself on that front. Uh, Regional Centre for Culture 2018 is on now. Uh, it is currently uh, Burramool and... Milica, uh emu and lightning time I've probably mangled those uh, words in uh, in uh, language but uh, hopefully you've done my best um, but yeah January through to March is the first season of the calendar and as we've said the as the seasons change the events and the in the program and calendar will change to reflect the the strength and the diversity of cultural activity and regional art in uh, the heart of Victoria in city of greater Bendigo the central goldfields Mount Alexander and Hepburn Shires. I've been talking to one of the co producers of the event, Joe Porter. Joe, thank you so much for joining us to talk about Regional Centre for Culture
4: 2018. That's a pleasure, Richard. Thank you so much.
0: This has been a podcast from Free Triple R, 102.7 FM in Melbourne. Truly independent community radio. Want to hear more? Check out our website at
3: rrr.org.au.